Welcome to Not Another Football Podcast, the football podcast by fans for fans. What's going on, everybody? Uh, we are your host, Mike Champagne, and a special, special guest host this evening with me is a dear friend of the podcast. You know him well. It is JP. Why don't you say hello to everyone, JP? What's going on, everyone? Absolute pleasure to be back on the pod. Great to have you back on the podcast now that I'm in the driver's seat for this one with Greg out of town, enjoying some much-needed rest and relaxation. So this is episode 22. It is kind of weird doing this without Greg. Uh, I do feel like a piece of myself is missing. Um, and I do just want to take a, a moment to thank you and say thank you so much for being a part of this. Yeah, man, absolutely. Super stoked to to fill in. I know this you can never really replace Greg, but I'm here to do my best. So let's have some fun today. That eh, cam came pretty close. But all right, topic one. Let's just recap these last conference championships. Uh, why don't we start with the early game? What did you think of the Buccaneers and Packers? Man, uh, so many thoughts. Uh, I guess the best place to start is what, let's start from the end and break down that, that last, that last series for the Packers, really trying to figure out what went wrong and what was going on with the coaching decisions, because that in the, mm. in and of itself changes everything, right? Mm, talk about it. Yep. So we're looking yep. at everyone is like criticizing Aaron, like putting a lot of blame on Aaron Rodgers for not running the ball. I think everyone needs to take a step back and look at Aaron Rodgers is not Lamar Jackson. <laughs> he's not Kyler Murray. I mean, he's not even Cam Newton, right? You, you can't expect that kind of athleticism and mobility. Yeah, he can do it like he did against the Rams where he's pump faking and he has to run two yards, but yep. nine yards is is asking too much when Jason Pierre-Paul has been chasing him down all game. Yep, not to mention they have some pretty fast linebackers and players on that defense. Absolutely. Devin, Devin White is a, is a monster out of LSU. That kid is so mm-hmm. fast. But then you have to look at LaFleur's decision. You're like, what? what's going on here? None of that makes any sense. Hmm. Hmm. What would you say in this game uh, to you felt like the turning point? For me, everything hinged on the last play before the half. Okay. There's no way. It was exactly like the Jets-Raiders game earlier in the year where the Jets decide to run you know, a zero blitz on the last play of the game. Uh, Greg Williams' death now. I love it. It is exactly what happened. I mean, if you look, yeah. there's no way that you should be in cover one mm-hmm. on fourth – on. First off, it shouldn't have been in cover one on the fourth down conversion before that. But then you come back with another cover one. Kevin King has been getting burnt all game and then just gets absolutely destroyed by Scotty Miller. (laughs) Yeah. I was was reading on on Twitter and somebody was was saying how – uh, and I think I texted this to, to the group chat, or at least to you, saying that you know football is is overcoached and undertaught. And I thought that was just a fantastic quote uh, because it is. You 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 can coach a player where to be and what he's supposed to do in a position, but the 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 player knowing the game of football and and not just you know where he's supposed to be on the field uh, is is an X factor of sorts that can almost overcome poor coaching. For example, uh, Ed Reed. You know, I, in my humble opinion, made some defensive coordinators look very good. And an example of this, uh, always in the the Peyton Manning interception, where Reed just plays playing out of position, 
turns around, finds the ball and makes an interception and things like that. And to me, I think that that uh, players, unfortunately, in today's game uh, don't have the same understanding of of the game in, in, in a similar vein. Uh, when Phil J.J. Uh, Watts tweet about Phil Philip Rivers in his retirement that we'll talk about in a little bit, but. Uh, him him calling out that one of their blitzers or one of their defenders was lined up wrong on a blitz they were about to run and just th- little things like that I think uh, I are missing from from the aspects of some even good players games uh, and I think King fell victim to that. You're absolutely right that some of it is undertaught. However, that particular instance is a coaching flaw, right? There is sure. no reason to call that play in that situation, and we absolutely flambeed Greg Williams for doing it. But the reality is you don't make that call there. Yes. But I I guess the difference in my mind would be that I'm not asking Abrams on the Raiders to, to make that play that King was asked to make, because I know that he doesn't know the position or, or, or the game as well. That's just me. But anyway, and he had been getting, I mean, if you look at each of the roasted, roasted, he gives up the touchdown to Mike Evans. He gives up the touchdown to Scotty Miller. The Leonard Fournette touchdown, Leonard Fournette actually gets into the end zone by literally rolling over Kevin King. So you, you okay. look at a situation where you have to find a way to to mask. But then again, on the other side, playing against one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, which is another thing I want to get into if we do pump the press. Mm. Oh, we will. We will. You have, you have, to, you have to realize that Brian Leftwich out coached Mike Pettin in the first mm. half. And that was the mm-hmm. difference maker. Yeah, very, very true. Great recap, JP. Thank you for that. Um, let's move on to what I had thought was going to be the game of the weekend. Um, now, I I personally was very excited for this game. Um, went over to a good friend's house, Naira's sister, uh, sister's apartment to watch the game. And oh, man, I wanted the Bills to win. I did. I picked them. I picked them to win. Actually, I was I was over this weekend, unfortunately, but I picked them to win. I liked them. Thought they thought they had a chance. The Chiefs hadn't been playing very good, but man, the Chiefs are just something else, huh? Man, I don't know what it is, but they just when they want to turn it on or when they get a little flustered or upset, like they're just such a great team. Um, not always a fan of some of their antics on the field, but uh, I thought they played. I thought they handily dismantled uh, the Bills. And so I thought that was a testament to coaching. And yet again, Andy Reid stands a titan among his coaching tree. Uh, I don't know if he will ever be beaten by someone who he coached <laughs> uh, or, or who was from his tutelage. Well, Michael, um, but what did you think of the game? Michael, I actually have a question for you. What happened? Yeah. What do you think was the reason for Josh Allen playing the way he did? Oh, it's coaching. I think Spagnolo is a fantastic defensive coordinator. And I truly think that, you know, the Chiefs secondary is not as good as other secondaries that the Bills have faced this postseason and in, in, in both the Colts and the, and the Ravens. And I think that the Chiefs got them out of sorts early, often, and in a way that, that truly uh, just flustered him. And I think this is the same argument that can be made for young players in other playoffs that are not, it's not an excuse for, for their loss, but you can tell that there are um, when, when the emotions are high, sometimes they, they try and play hero ball, particularly Josh Allen, who has in the past been accused of playing hero ball and perhaps not looking for uh, and taking what's, what's open. Um, Does that answer your question or was that kind of a long rambling? 
No, that kind of hints to the point I wanted to get at is that okay. I think we have both been overselling and underselling Josh Allen this year. Mm, okay. He has made an incredible jump in improving his accuracy as a quarterback. But Absolutely. Things, I mean, as a player, truly. No, And it's it's something I don't think that we have like data to ever see something like this in a, mm-hmm. from one year to another. But what happens with all of that is that we forget and we undersell we undersell the accuracy, the the accuracy improvement, but we oversell mm-hmm. his overall improvement as a quarterback. Because yeah. the most important thing about and, yeah. exactly the most important thing about playing quarterback is making the right decision. Josh Allen took an 18-yard sack in this game, which is the longest sack, the second longest sack in the last three years, only second to Josh Allen's 19-yard sack he took last year. So the reason why the Bills ended up losing that playoff game last year was because of Josh Allen's decision making. And then again this year, he gets to the big stage and you're going up against an offense that you can't afford to make a mistake against. And what does he do? He starts making mistakes. And it's it's the little things. And that's what happens when you get this deep into the playoffs. It's the smallest of mistakes that can avalanche and snowball into a point where you're you're getting thoroughly picked apart. Yeah, but he's young, man. I mean, come on. Him and Lamar are both 24. It's it is preposterous to believe that these these early losses in this start to the, to their careers is a negative in any sort of detracts from their from their from their stellar improvement. So I I, I agree with what you're saying. And that's why I said it's a both an oversell and an undersell. But at the same yeah. time, you make the yeah. argument about oh well, they're so young. Oh, okay, Patrick Mahomes is only a year older than him. Okay, but if, if you're going to contend that Patrick Mahomes being a year older than them is the equivalent of the playoff experience, poise, and intangibles that makes Mahomes Mahomes is 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 fallacious at best, JP, and I, I expect better from you moving forward. Whoa, whoa, whoa. okay. <laughs> I mean, if we want to start going to going down that route, I mean, if you want to look at the two other quarterbacks you mentioned, there's a a pretty big gap in overall skill, talent, and decision-making between Mahomes and those two. Uh, I mean, absolutely, but it's, it's hard to say that that's just one year's worth of, of explosive um, experience or, or change. No, it's just a flat-out difference in uh, you know physical ability, throwing the football. So what you're telling me is Mahomes is built different. No. <laughs> all right, moving on. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, so uh, give me give me a weekly standout surprise or, or a surprise or a winner or a loser from these games. We'll, we'll do one for each. How about that? Yeah. So if I'm looking at my biggest my biggest winner from the early game, I'm gonna have to say is gonna be something that not a lot of people are talking about is is Jair Alexander. Um, Ooh. He I'm a big fan him, of his, by the way. And absolutely. And he cemented his status as a top five corner in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I wanted him at a, at a Louisville, too. He is so technically sound and so instinctive. I mean, you yeah. saw the plays that he made um, yeah. having a big impact, but also realizing that he shut down the people that he, was in, that he ended up in one-on-one coverage or in that zone that sometimes mm-hmm. the Packers like to run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that... That obviously led to everything that happened with Kevin King. But I think that the biggest winner out of that game, because like it or not, Tom Brady did not play well in that game. The biggest winner out of that and what helped cause all of that was 
basically shutting down one side of the field with Jair Alexander. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What's your winner from the from the first game? Winner or loser? <sighs> you know, I think I think I just have one loser, and I think it's the Tampa Bay defense. Now, look, they they won, they won, but I it, it kind of crushed my heart a little bit not to see uh, Winfield Jr. out there. To be honest, uh, I thought that that was a, quite a shame. But I do have to say, the guy who stepped in for him, wow, played his played his tail off. Um, and also, you know, uh, Jamil Dean, um, I think it's Jamil Dean, whatever, mm-hmm. Dean 30, 35 or whatever yeah. on, on Tampa Bay. That's the guy I drafted in, in our, um, our Madden league. He's my other corner. Who's the 85 overall, uh, across from Humphrey on our, our franchise. Yeah. And I, I'm still kind of concerned as why do you, why you have them as a loser in that regard? I mean, Winfield's going to be back for the, he was out hurt. He's going to be back for the Super Bowl. I would say that that the the losers in this is that not having a that full unit playoff experience together. I just think that there's something special to that as as a young core. Um, I'm just maybe I'm just a little old school in, in that sense, but and I guess it, it's kind of tough to say that they're a loser. This is something I just wanted to to, to bring up because I thought that they played fairly well. I, it, they shut down one of the best quarterbacks of all time and one of the best offenses in. Uh, of this era. So hats off to them. But at at the same time, I think that they might be resting on their laurels a little bit, particularly some of their cornerbacks who like to, to uh, talk a lot of crap Uh, and they have to go up against another very, very potent offense. And I think that maybe they might just be a little bit too overconfident. Oh, I think we're going to see a heavy dose of what we saw when they met in the regular season. Yeah. Should be a good game. Anyway, all right. What, do you have a winner, loser, uh, or a standout from the Bills game? Sorry, Bills Chiefs game. Yeah, uh, I think that my winner is going to be uh, Travis Kelsey. Ooh, yep. Uh, like, what can you do? He is the most unguardable tight end in football, yeah. and it's watching the way that he. So the thing that makes him the winner is his. It's not only his his physical prowess on the field. You know he can't he can't be guarded by linebackers. He's too fast. He can't be guarded mm-hmm. by by DBs because he's too big. But mm-hmm. what's really made him become such a dangerous tool is understanding his chemistry with with Patrick Mahomes as well as his ability to read defense coverages because yep. he can sit down in a zone and when he's scrambling he knows exactly where to stop, where to sit, where to roll back when he's on the roll. I mean you see that pass by Mahomes. Where yeah, in Matt Milano's arms and falling to the ground and just is able to put an absolute dart. But that play isn't made if Kelsey doesn't know where to go. Um, and he totally. doesn't know how to, to shoot that in a scramble drill. So for me, my biggest winner, I mean, he had what? I think it was close to like 11 catches, 100 plus yards. Absolutely insane performance by him. And that's what makes this de- this team so difficult to stop because you, you, <laughs> you it's basically pick your poison. Absolutely. Tough, tough loss with, uh, with Eric Fisher though. Um, but yes, an overall completely dominating offensive performance. I wonder who they're going to end up starting at that, at that tackle position. It looks like it's going to be Mike Remmers, which as a Panthers fan gives me flashbacks, <laughs> Felucia level flashbacks. <laughs> I felt the same way every time Michael Orr played for anyone else. Um, you know, I think that my, my, I have a winner in this and I think, 
I think it's Josh Allen. I think that he he while he might have created quite a bit of doubt in certain areas, I think he also put a lot of put a lot of people on notice that that the Bills are are legit and I think that they're they're going to be good for a long time, so I'm very excited for them. Ooh, I mm, that's a that's an interesting one. I don't know if I necessarily would label him a winner after his performance. Oh, I mean, sure. Yeah. Look, it <laughs> Fight me another t- another time another time we'll get into this. Um, do you have do you have a pump the brakes for this week? I do. Yeah, um, go for it. I saw on I think it was on ESPN where they were calling Tom Brady the greatest athlete of all time, and I'm just like, you need to pump the brakes on all that nonsense. <laughs> all right, is he the greatest winner? He's up there in the top. I don't know if I can give him you know the greatest when you have people like Bill Russell who wins. 11 championships. Um, but he's not the greatest. He is the greatest winning quarterback of NFL history. Absolutely. Do you think that Bill Russell could have played across such dramatic changes through the, the NBA? Like think about, think about when Tom Brady entered this league, that NFL literally ceased to exist as we know it. I think like think of all of the changes and the commercialization and the money and like just how much the game has changed since that scrawny Michigan quarterback picked up a, like a, a football right in 99 or whatever, when he started for the Patriots, it, man, I, I think that staying power has some, has some note. Um, but I'm interested to, to see what other, uh, what other, what other, what else gives you pause in here? So it's being a lawyer, <laughs> Words matter, right? <laughs> so when you say words like greatest athlete oh, it's of like all that. time. It's like that, JP. No, but that's that's what makes the difference, right? Sure. You can call yeah. him the greatest winner in NFL history. Absolutely, 100%. No arguments, yeah. no ifs, ands, or buts. But greatest athlete, that's a different term. It's a different terminology because it changes the equation. So is he a better athlete than, say, Bo Jackson? No. I still don't think he's the most gifted quarterback I've seen play. I th- I still would give that to Aaron Rodgers. Um, with Mahomes coming to take his his crown real quickly, but the whole greatest greatest athlete of all time, like nah. Hmm. I give my man do- all respect for the work that he's put in mm-hmm. and being able to reach ten Super Bowls. But like the whole greatest athlete, like that's a, that's doing a disservice to some people who literally changed games. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's a very valid point. I don't. Yeah, there's. I don't think there's any. There's going to be any any contention with the word choice uh, athlete as somebody with a master's degree in corporate and organizational communications that has studied so much literature and words and and wording and branding and the way things look and and the way that words interact with our society. I, I completely agree with you. But I have something else to add to that. Um, <laughs> Go on. It's the. The whole Brady versus Belichick thing also just needs to stop. Because um, <laughs> you want to say, oh, well, Tom Brady, he left and went to a different team, and now he's in the Super Bowl. He must have been the, the entire reason for all the success. Let's pump the brakes on that one, mainly because look at the system he goes into, look at all the weapons he has, look at the offensive line he has, and then look what's left in New England. Yeah. Like, okay, you want to come into an absolute home run of a draft pick and Tristan Wirfs on that the offensive line you have Ali Marpet who's amazing as a guard and then you also come into Jameson uh, Jensen don't don't forget oh absolutely Jensen too that offensive line is really really good 
And then you also have Jimmy Garoppolo could thrive there. He could. We also have three number one wide receivers. Yeah. As well as your security blanket tight end in Gronkowski. Um, you also have Cameron Brate, who somehow is always open on a five-yard stick route. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. Like, <laughs> we got to start realizing like we, the, the situations that you're coming into are completely different. Yeah, totally. That's a very, very valid point. I agree. All right. Did you have like a biggest overall takeaway from uh, from the weekend from these games? I I did, and it's that I just don't understand how someone stops the Chiefs' offense. I just it, it doesn't. There does there's nothing I can see that really like makes me understand how you stop that offense with all those weapons. Yeah. What about you? What was your biggest takeaway? And also, we got to get your pump the brakes. I didn't have a pump the brakes this week. I I was bad. Um, but I think my my biggest overall takeaway. You know, it really is like when the, it's like when the, you know, the, the, the meme of the guy who's like leaning back in his gaming chair and then like he sits forward and it's like supposed to represent like all of a sudden like you're playing. And I just, that's what I think of the chiefs. I feel like they just sit back and like they took some ugly losses and, and they, they, they played some really terrible games that they won, but they didn't look all that great. And then all of a sudden, you know, the bills come out a little bit fired up, a little bit of spunk. And the chiefs kind of said, Oh, okay. Kind of like LeBron the other night uh, when somebody said something to him and he smiled and hit a bunch of threes. Like it's just, it's, it's stuff like that. It's, it's crazy. Like, I don't know what their ceiling is. Cause I don't know if they've ever like played a full game without like toying with people. It's ridiculous. This just a, what a, what a wonderful situation uh, for, for all, for all of them. Um, you, know, you, you mentioned basketball and to bring another basketball analogy into mm-hmm, a football mm-hmm. podcast, they're like the, tw- they're like the, the 2016 warriors. Like, okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we get it. We're down by five in the third quarter. All right, here, let's do this. Next thing you know, they rattle off eight straight threes and they're up by 15. Like, yeah, it's the the ability to hit a switch, and that is really like a testament to the coaching culture, yeah, and and, and to the ability to really understand and break down any any adjustments being made. Yeah, the the, the so level of, of of intellect that's on in all levels of that that organization is just mind boggling. Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, and I love Andy Reid, so I think this was this was great for him. Um, alrighty, so. That is topic one. That's our recap of the conference championships. Moving on to topic number two, Carousel by Blink-182. Great song. I recommend everyone listen to it. Fantastic, fantastic music. Um, All right. So we're going to talk about coaches first. Uh, Do you want to start? You were really fired up about this one. You had some, uh, you had a a whole bag of tricks for this. All right. Where to be? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Stretch it out. So let's talk about the three most recent hires that you have. Right. You have two like what like what hires, and then you have a hire that is originally that originally had me pretty heated, but I've you know I've come one eighty on it. So you want to look at the craze is we want this hot young coordinator. So that's why you have things like Brandon Staley being hired in L.A. with the Chargers and. Nick Sariani being hired in uh, Philadelphia. Those two, it's it's more of a testament to the difficulties that you have to be so unmistakably good 
if not greatest of all, the greatest of your peers in order to get a head coaching job if you're African American. And it's absolutely Well, I mean, this is the same thing that 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 women in sports also also come up against. Yes. But also, side note on and, that and one, shout huge, shout out huge. to the Washington football team for hiring the league's first African American female coach. Um, they just hired an assistant running back coach um, full time. So shout out to them. But that leads me to to this It's great. This conundrum that we have in the Super Bowl, we have three African American coordinators coaching. We have But should really know it's it's kind of all people of color, to be honest. No, it, well, it, it, it is in, in the NFL it, it is it happens that um people of color of African American descent who have had such a, a legacy and impact on the league are the most shunned from head coaching. So please go on. I just wanted to put a, put some little context around that in case there's uh, pushback, but go on. No, absolutely. And that, I think that's an important distinction to make. And thank you for, for that clarification. What I'm frustrated at is you have, and a lot of people have been using Eric Bieniemy's name because he's the biggest name attached to it. Right. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. also have Byron Leftwich. You also have Leslie Frazier. You also have Todd Bowles. These, these coordinators are doing amazing things. The Bills defense, if you look from the first half to the second half, they completely turned that defense around under Leslie Frazier. Todd Bowles, the defense of the Bucks last year, bunch of bunch of rookies, really young, still trying to meld it together. Then they go out and they're able to shut down Aaron Rodgers in the second half of an NFC championship game. Byron yeah. Leftwich, he he made that offense so potent last year that Jameis Winston, although his mistakes cost him 30 <laughs> interceptions, he also threw for 5,000 yards as yeah. well as 30 touchdowns. And then he takes, you know, he helps elevate and disprove the theory that Brady doesn't have any arm strength by having Brady go off this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eric Bieniemy. I mean, you can say all that you want, like just look at the chief's offense, but what's so frustrating is you have coaches who are seen as, Oh, we don't really know too much about you. Like Eric Serini, who's been an offensive coordinator for two years under the, under Frank Wright. Where's his questions of, Oh, it's just Frank Wright calling all the plays. That's what you do with Bieniemy. Oh, you know, Brandon Staley, he's a really good young coach, and we want some longevity in that position. Why not hire Todd Bowles, who completely con- turned around that entire defense? Or Leslie Frazier? Like, it's just we're running ourselves in circles because owners mm-hmm. really just don't care. And that's why the Rooney Rule has become such a farce. Yeah, I think that's a really important important point to make. And I think that, that the NFL, and I, I do wish that the NFL would actually take some time to consider this because – you know, forcing the rule like the Rooney rule, it doesn't get to the core root of the issue and it's politics. It's, it is, it is the way that the NFL works from the inside. And, you know, you see it every now and then it bubbles to the surface every now and then in the, in the news or whatever, or 30 for 30 or something like that. But, you know, it, it really just is, it's the backroom deals of the good old boys club that nobody wants to talk about, but exists. And, and it, it has always existed for these old institutions. And unfortunately the NFL is no different. And it is, it is incredibly frustrating to see time and time again, qualified quality coaches who, who, who would be able to, to turn a program around don't have, uh, you know, the key relationship or, or, or something missing. And, and in particular, I think that the term assistant head coach is is too too loosely used and i think that it it if you look at people who are getting looks at 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 these positions at head coach who are um coordinators a lot of them have had assistant head coach in their title and it's 
it's a weird stepping stone that I use to kind of gauge. So really, none of this is surprising to me. I, like, I'm not surprised that these are the names that are, that are coming up. It's it's, you know, looking a brief look at their history tells you that, like, they've they've made the coaching relationships they needed to in order to get to this position. And that's fine, especially when a lot of those guys uh, go up to higher executive positions and have a lot of influence in the organization. Neither here nor there. However, I completely agree that that un- unfortunately, the way that the Rooney rule is implemented, it just it, it guts the accountability. It doesn't it doesn't hold anybody accountable. And it's, it's incredibly frustrating to watch time and time again. Uh, it's like a it makes me as a fan feel like the the rabbit chasing a carrot that it, it, it takes an organization like the Baltimore Ravens putting out statement after statement after statement on on Black Lives Matter and 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 truly working to communicate the 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 nuance of the argument you know whether and and that to me is is true action whereas pl- a plethora of these other organizations looking at the texans in specific just want to just want to appease their product and move forward and it's sickening and that's unbecoming in this day and age but anyway but i have to, I, have to take, I have to take a second here because sure I, I i alluded to this when i started this is there is a difference in like you said statements for statement's sake or you know these unnecessary platitudes that people put out you look at the dan campbell hire shouts out man campbell and eating people's kneecaps <laughs> uh, what he's done subsequently shows that he gets it he gets that there's an issue in this because one of the biggest things is, oh, there's no coaching pool. Oh, there's no coaching pool. You want to know what Dan Campbell has gone out and done? He's hired a black defensive coordinator, a black offensive coordinator. Um, he's hired Deuce Staley uh, as you know one of his uh, top assistant head coaches. He understands that he has an opportunity to actually give people a chance. And that's why I've come and, you know, I didn't notice this until I was actually listening to a podcast today. Shout out Bomani Jones. It makes such a difference when you actually can understand and use that place. Because so we talk so much about allyship and you know, being there to support one another, but you have to go more than just a statement. You have to go more. You actually have to yep. provide opportunity. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, this is this is huge for you know the coaching staff in the in Detroit. They they were in a similar situation as the Texans. Previous ownership was kind of shaky. Um, you know, we have had owners pass and you know pass away in the last couple of years. But you can see how options have created such a divergence between the two. Detroit, they go on to hire a black GM. They have, you know, they're building a more diverse culture and staff there after moving on from Matt Patricia. And then you have the Texans, who are just continuously trying to become the Patriots. And realizing that you can't be the Patriots because you're missing the most important part, which is Bill Belichick. Yep, and it is unfortunate that none of this and none of these folks decide or really want to change or listen. It is what it is at this point, but hopefully, uh, with things in the future and the way that players are gaining more of a platform to speak out against things like this, hopefully there will be more changes in the future. But yes, as just to reiterate that. Um, truly all, all people of color in, in the NFL have, have struggled and, and people from all walks of life. And it's unfortunate that, uh, we kind of gloss over it because of, of the amount of money that that's made there. And so, uh, in 2021, I kind of hope that changes continue to be made. Moving on into some quarterbacks whose futures are in question. Now you sent me something on Twitter 
And there was a list of quarterbacks, and I'm assuming uh, this is by hopefully a reputable source that's saying that these futures are in question. But um, this came directly from Adam Schefter. But I'm looking at some of these names, and I'm I'm shocked that playoff caliber teams like the San Francisco 49ers and the Green Bay Packers would be interested in moving off of their quarterback. So why don't we start there and then you can kind of uh, go into more of these and in, in depth and we can, we can chat about them. Yeah. So I think the Green Bay Packers situation is mainly because of Aaron Rodgers' comments post game um, where he said, it's all speculative, right? Of course. Yeah. It's all speculative. And he actually put out a somewhat clarifying ish statement today on the Pat McAfee show. Uh, he says, you know, a lot of players, futures aren't aren't certain and knowing the nfl no one's future is certain unless your name is patrick mahomes right now i think that's more of a situation where he's just extremely frustrated um you can hear the frustration in his voice in the post-game interviews but so i'm not too i I don't think that one is actually going to move anywhere because if he really wanted to he could because he's aaron Rodgers. but i don't think that one is the one that's going to be more interesting is in San Francisco that you mentioned because San Francisco found out, okay, we have the defensive talent when we're healthy to get to a Super Bowl. But what lost in that Super Bowl was the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo is not that guy. Yeah. And where they're interesting is, is that that contract is now a lot easier to move now that we've gotten past, you know, the first three years of his contract. So that's going to be an interesting play. But the team that I think there's going to be, the two teams that I think that will be in the running for that are going to be um, in the running for a player like, say, Matt Stafford, will mm-hmm. be San Francisco, who is a quarterback away, and Indianapolis, who is a quarterback away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's such good points. And thank you so much for, for taking the time to answer those questions. I think that's great. That's a, a really, really great perspective to, to bring to those. And I, I, I have to agree. I think that... They're, I don't think they're going to move off Rodgers. I think that there's too much inertia to keep him there. Um, and I, I'll have to agree that something that was lost in, in the takeaways from last year's Super Bowl was that Jimmy is just not that guy, and he's not who people kind of thought he was. Uh, jaws of chin, of chin of steel, but arm of Play-Doh. Who, uh, who else here has perked your interest? These are, these are quite a few names. We won't have time to go through them all. You can find this on Adam Schefter's Twitter, but we will spend some time chatting about a couple of these. Why don't you uh, head out? The the one I want to I want your their thoughts and opinions on are Mitchell Trubisky because the Bears are in a very precarious situation as well as um, Jameis Winston. Those are two let's that go, I really let's want go to. one at a time. Yeah, go ahead. Let's go one at a time. Yeah. So let's go with 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 Trubisky. Man, I I feel bad for him. Um, I think that he desperately wants to be the guy. I just don't think that in this in Nagy system, he's ever going to be the guy. And I think that unfortunately they just haven't put enough around him to help him be successful from a, a coaching uh, support perspective. And so I just think that he's just not the guy and they got to move on and separate. And uh, I think it'll be better for both sides. I think that everybody needs a fresh start. And I think that Trubisky can be good down the, down the road. I just don't think it's going to be in Chicago, unfortunately. And so I, I'm interested to see where he, uh, where he ends up. But yeah, I just don't think he's going to be the guy in Chicago. And I think they're going to end up if Nagy wants to keep his job. I think he's going to end up trying to sell, sell high on, on some of their, their uh, pieces this off season. But if you're the bears, if you're the bears, what like you have a ton, you just paid Khalil Mack all this money. 
your salary cap is not looking great right now, especially with the. You know, they they thought they were going to have a window. They thought they were going to have a window. That's it. They they thought they were going to have a Super Bowl window with Mitch when he came out of UNC. It was everyone was hyping him up, thought he was going to be be the guy, and then he's not. And so now they're stuck hold with you know they're stuck holding the 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 bill. And that's why I said they just they both need new starts. It, just, it didn't work. It didn't work. It's move on. We're done. You know, n- next. And unfortunately, until they get to that point, they're going to continue to fester in this in this kind of forever wheels turning situation. And that's just again ownership not taking a leadership role in in, in recognizing their own stubbornness is, is costing them. Yeah, and that brings me to the next quarterback that really makes this very interesting. And who could be a potential fit in, you know, a place like Chicago is Jameis Winston. What do you think his prospects are moving forward next season? Yeah, that's that's a good one. Uh, and I, I think that Winston, I think I think Winston has a really is at a really great crossroads in his career because being on the Saints with Drew Brees uh, stepping away from the game. Uh, but also being uh, young enough and recently successful enough to be looked at in this way, I think really um, gives him maybe maybe perhaps the pick of the litter uh, when it comes to, to choosing a position to choosing where he goes and, and for for what cost. But um, yeah, I'm interested to, to to see because you know I I have doubts about him as well, and so I'm interested to see if you know. A fresh start without without Bruce Arians uh, hanging over him will, will give him uh, the space he needs to, to be successful. Okay, so I do have a question on on one of these guys. Being being such a, a Panthers fan, and and I do enjoy talking with you about the team so much because of the, you bring such a unique perspective to the way that they they operate, um, considering the societal undertones of the city in which they operate and their historic ownership. Um, so I'm interested with a. This is now their second. Uh, quarterback of color who would wind up on a list like this and maybe the last as as many years and, and the turnover that they've just had to bring in a coach who again uh was uh, a rising star in, in 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 college and is now getting an opportunity in the nfl so i'm interested to hear your perspective on carolina's quarterback controversy so the interesting thing is to examine the structure of Teddy Bridgewater's contract when he signed. So it was a three-year, $60 million deal, $20 million a year. Basic math breaks down, right? But the big sure. thing is that they're able to they're able to kind of break away and see. So this is, you know, it's essentially like we talk about this all the time is having a bridge quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. This is a great opportunity for Teddy Bridgewater. A bridge to water quarterback? Ha, ha, ha. You're so funny. Sorry, bridge over to water. Let's go. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but it, it allows the Panthers to really have a lot more flexibility in the way that they can either move him. Um, he had a, a somewhat decent season. Um, not which, which was surprising to you, but I think somebody kind of called that. I, <laughs> here, here, I'm just patting myself on the back over here. Continue. I, am, I apologize. No more interruptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the thing about him is that it's so interesting is that he – we were competitive in some games, but the games that we ended up being somewhat competitive in, we lost in most part due to Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we had a chance to win in Green Bay. He fumbles at the goal line. We have you know opportunities to win in Kansas City. He throws interceptions late in the game um, on yeah. game-winning drives. So it it he's not a bad quarterback. He had he's a player that has a high floor, low ceiling, and. 
if you're going to build a franchise and look to the future, that can't be at the helm of your franchise. Yeah. And I do think that there is a potential that we move on from it. And I think that there's, um, there has been rumors um, circulating about Deshaun Watson's interest as well as potentially going Ooh. out and for a lower price looking to trade for Matt Stafford. So we're in a situation where we knew we were not getting the absolute, you know, savior of the franchise in Teddy Bridgewater. We have, right. you know, we have a mid-level quarterback who's, you know, good, Function. but not great. So mm-hmm. it's really, it's the reason why we gave, you know, Matt Rule a seven-year contract. Yeah. He's, he's got to build. Yeah. build. Mm-hmm. Which I thought, I thought was the right thing to do. I, I don't like... Uh, when franchises bring in a guy and expect him to to turn turn water into wine overnight, yeah. So it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting off season for the Panthers, um, similar to what kind of happened with a lot of you know franchises last year that made the jump into playoff spots. The Panthers have a really young defense, so if they can find a way to coach them up and make that next level switch, the Panthers could be you know they could be in the hunt for a wild card spot next year. Fantastic! Very excited to hear that. That's um, I, I'm very much looking forward to, to their off season and having you back on to discuss them in further detail later in the year as we move into the off season and towards divisional breakdowns. Um, so real quick, I just thought we'd go through uh, three recent retirements, right, with Philip Rivers, Greg Olson, and, and Marquise Pouncey, um, along with uh, Drew Brees. Uh, do you have any uh, any any thoughts or, or comments on any of those and any of those guys? Um, I think I think one of them. Spent some time in Carolina also, briefly though. Brief, I don't think he, he did anything there, but um, maybe you have some some thoughts. So I do think that there is an opportunity for um, all four of these people to end up in the Hall of Fame, um, mainly probably why we're talking about it. But the, the contribution that Greg Olson had to the success in Carolina is, is so huge. I mean, he's the first tight end to ever, you know, have three consecutive seasons of a thousand yards receiving. Yeah. And he was able to actually mask a lot of the deficiencies of, you know, someone like Cam. Um, He's going straight into the NFL broadcasting booth. He he (laughs) already announced a deal with, uh, with Fox. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy to hear him commentate games because I do think the work that he did off the field is truly better. Than with the stuff you put in on the on the field, he's done a lot for uh, for children with congenital heart defects. Incredible, uh, have heart foundation. So shout out to my man Greg Olson. Wow, that's great. Thank you for that, JP. That was a a touching touching ode to him. Moving on to preview the Pro Bowl and chat just a little bit about the Super Bowl. I know that that. Uh, Greg, the regular host, will be back and we'll chat more uh, in depth about the Super Bowl next week. But as many of you know, the NFL uh, often takes a week off and gives an extra bye week to teams headed to the Super Bowl. Uh, In the past, this had just literally been a bye week, but several years prior, um, several years ago, the NFL had realized that the Pro Bowl was making no money because it's ridiculous and gaudy and unnecessary. And they said, well, why don't we just kick it to that week so fans can have all their football in, you know, whatever number of days and then have an even longer offseason. So um, 
yeah, let's talk. Let's talk Pro Bowl that they canceled this year, thankfully. And uh, it's going to be virtual. Um, JP, did you, by any chance, at the beginning of the year, have an opportunity to take a look at any of the virtual stuff that the NFL and Madden had been putting together with people like Marquise Brown and a bunch of influencers and uh, Madden Madden people, which is what I expect the Pro Bowls to look like. And and so that's that's what I'm I'm envisioning for something I'm not going to be watching, just like the skills competition. And um, I'm interested to hear your perspective on the Pro Bowl in general. General, um, and the people who are voted into it by fans and not by their peers or professionals. <laughs> if you can't tell, I am not a Pro Bowl fan. <laughs> uh, ever since it, they they changed it from being the best, the championship of the college uh, and championship of the NFL playing way way long ago. Continue, JP. I apologize. That's just a fun fun fact. See, I actually like the Pro Bowl. Not the actual game, but all the skills events leading up to the game. I remember watching those on ESPN when I was a kid, um, and they were they were pretty entertaining. Uh, to answer your first question, I have followed a little bit about um, what the NFL has been doing to kind of move things in a virtual way and really trying to uh, capture some of a new demographic that the NFL is honestly losing touch uh, losing touch with. So much of what they did in the beginning of the season, for those of you who are listening who may not know, they did a lot of partnerships with Twitch streaming um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of the big gaming organizations like FaZe Clan and things like that to really bring in and elevate the Madden cycle, which we have a long list of complaints on between the three of us um, about how Madden is actually ran as a game. But what the Pro Bowl is doing this year is that it's going to be a four-on-four matchup between NFL players such as Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray, as well as um, some big-name celebrities that are going to be involved in this. And it will be a head-on-head matchup, um, four on one side, four on the other. Each, each quarter will be played by two different players. And then winner takes all. And I think it's important to see that the NFL is actually trying to connect to a younger base because – as we saw with what they did uh, during the, uh, the wild card round in uh, that game that was actually broadcast on Nickelodeon, I actually liked yeah. the move. And Same. the game that was broadcast on Nickelodeon, I don't know if we've actually talked about this. It was actually really No, fun. no, really we haven't. Well we can touch on that. Nate Burleson, Nevada alum, shout out. Absolutely phenomenal. Favorite Twitter follow. Go on. Absolutely phenomenal in that game. And breaking it down and actually teaching Into bite-sized chunks, yeah thinking about it when we were kids we learned through playing and we mm-hmm. learned through you know fandom right mm-hmm. but you never really think back of like oh i got into football because my older brother got into football but we were in a society now where youth football is sort of on a decline so we need to find a way to yeah. gauge interest and going to where your audience is is one of the easiest ways to attract a new audience so the game was impeccably ran they brought in big names Nickelodeon stars, as well as individuals who understand, but also understand how to break it down in a way that is digestible for kids. And I think it was an absolute success. I do think that we'll see this going on uh, and moving forward. It's similar to, it's similar to what we were, what we've been discussing. And I really want to get your talk on this is how do you think that the NFL is actually being successful in this evolution? Yeah. You know, that's, that's an incredible point and something that I I don't think a lot of fans take into account because, you know, we're, we're so focused on, on the game and, and the players and, and it's like, why would I watch it? Something like that. Who cares? Little curmudgeon, little old stoogie. But 
I, I think that it's a very interesting concept of in, engaging a younger audience. And I think that it speaks to the, the, the larger moves by companies such as uh, Budweiser deciding not to advertise at the Super Bowl. Um, and I, spe- I think it speaks to a, a generational, uh, the beginnings of a generational shift, uh, not only in the way that we look at the world, but in the way that we look at advertising and the way that we look at the integration between kids and grownups and the way that we want our society to look. And so I think that by going to a, a, a Nickelodeon and, and, and partnering with them and, and creating such a, a fantastic, a fantastic event and show and just experience for, for people of all ages, like you didn't have to be a kid to enjoy it. And I think that was just such a, such a, a, a critical and important aspect to kind of take, you know, the, the kind of heaviness off of, of what the season has been. Uh, so I think from that perspective, it was, it was a rousing success and I'm very excited for the NFL to continue, uh, particularly as, as it comes to, to the health and safety of not only players, but fans and fan experience as they, they shift into the coming future century. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's very important. And, you know, looking ahead a little bit, I want to ask you, what is, the one big storyline you're looking at watching when it comes to Super Bowl what's it, 55? Oh, man. I got to be honest. I'm not super excited about this Super Bowl. Um, it's the same old faces. Some of the, you know, some of this stuff is, is super, uh, super unique and super fun. But I think what I'm most excited about as, as a storyline, because all of those things that, that are unique about this pale in comparison to the fact that, Tom Brady, the story of this season for him is nothing but remarkable, to be honest, and completely unlikely and just another chapter in what has been an already illustrious career. So hats, I'm, I'm very happy for him. Um, and I'm excited to see, even if he loses, I'm excited to see to see what he can do. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of people in New England who are going to be watching and rooting for him to, to do that as well. He's brought a lot of, of good memories to people here over the last uh, almost two decades. Incredible, incredible stuff. Um, so that's, that's what I'm really looking forward to. What about you? What are you excited about? I am excited to see the, like, the strategy between Andy Reid and Todd Bowles. Mm. Todd Bowles is a phenomenal defensive mind. And I think a lot of people take away from Todd Bowles because of his time as the coach for the Jets. I think yep. that's unfair. I agree. I think he was unfairly, unfairly chastised for that. And I do think, I really do think that it's going to be a very fun chess match between disguising schemes and blitzes to try and throw off Mahomes. And then the utter absurdity that Biennemi and Reed put together with that offense. It'll be fun to watch because, as we kind of as we mentioned before, the Chiefs don't really have a weakness offensively. Yeah. But what will be interesting to see is how that offensive line adjusts to losing um, Fisher because mm. they are missing four of their starting uh, offensive linemen from last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's the chess match that I'm looking forward to, and I think that's going to be the biggest, the biggest determination of outcome. Yeah, that's oh, man. Uh, the X's and O's of this are going to be something incredible with with what these teams have done this year. Um, so once this is done, everyone's looking forward to the draft and moving on to the offseason. What do you think coming from this game 
is going to be the biggest overreaction of the Super Bowl? Ooh, the biggest overreaction to the Super Bowl. That's a that's a really that's a tough question. Um, I think that the biggest overreaction is that. Oof, I think it's going to be that all of the success, and, and I mentioned this earlier, that all of the success of the Patriots is yeah for Tom Brady, and I don't, I yeah. don't necessarily think that's true. Yeah, um, no, it's not. It's it's not, and it's not. foolish to say otherwise. It's it's yeah, yeah, but, I agree. But the, but the the fan fodder is going to be yeah. Oh, look at you know everyone said that. Belichick was responsible for Brady or Brady was responsible for Belichick. Well, let's see how they do without each other. Look at what, look at what Tom Brady did. And he won it. You know, I don't think that they're going to win the Super Bowl, but yeah. if, if they do win, they're going to, it's all going to be about uh, Belichick. He, you know, he didn't even make the playoffs and his team was terrible, but there's going to be such a lack of context to this win it to this game um, on either side. Yeah. Really. But I think I think that that is a very interesting point that you just made. That there's a lack of context to to this win, to this moment, to this to this everything, right? But it's it's a societal issue, right? It was we, we we're so used to going to extremes and not you know this has kind of been a central theme of what I've been talking about today is that we all want to jump to one conclusion or another and not look at how people got here. What's the context? What's the surrounding? It's it is it's just like history. To the victor goes the spoils, and it, victory is victory brings with it the history and and how you want it to be to be portrayed. And and we all know that that historically there is so much nuance in context that is overlooked. And unfortunately, this seems to be falling down that same path. There was one point that I did want to 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 bring back is when we look at how this season unfolded the context of a global pandemic, the NFL being able to pull off what they did is commendable, but I yeah. still hope. And I, I really do hope as, as a fan of this league and a fan of the sport, as well as a fan who is a person of color that we actually continue to push the NFL and the owners to actually stand by the, like the platitudes that they put out. Um, I'm so frustrated by the, the whole, you know, it takes all of this campaign that they put out this year and the total nonsense that that ended up because they just used it for everything, which then again is like defeats the whole purpose. So it was, it takes all of us to end racism. And then, you know, as we move into, as we moved into the, you know, cancer awareness and which was historically the breast cancer awareness, but we moved into, it takes all of us to beat cancer and then it takes all of us to beat COVID. And then it takes all of us to support the troops. There's a difference between equity and equality that I think a lot of people don't understand. And I really wish that the NFL can get their act together and actually take time to learn that lesson. The difference between equity and equality is that if you treat everyone equal, you mask problems of mass inequality by targeting things and making them specifically applicable and providing programs and resources to target communities that are suffering or who are historically underrepresented, you're actually making a difference. So don't come to me with an, an equality message of it takes all of us. No, find the problems, fix the hole in the ship rather than just putting 
one layer of tape around the whole ship. It doesn't, it doesn't actually do any benefit. And that's the one thing I want to leave with this podcast is that I really do wish that we can continue to actually make change and push forward in this off season. Soapbox over. Powerful, powerful stuff, JP. And, and, and so true. So, so many, so many true points, true points there. And I truly hope that the NFL can meet the moment and, and, and heed some of your, your wise advice. Um, But I think that's a great place to end something to think about as we move into this year and into the next cycle of 2021. Um, Thank you so much, JP. I think that's, that's a very important message and I think we'll leave it at that. Um, So thank you everyone for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Not only do your reviews help and mean a lot to us, but we love reading them. You can follow us on social media. Our handles are in the description of each episode. Thank you so much, Mike, for giving me this, this time. And it was an absolute pleasure to be back on the pod. So to everyone listening, like, subscribe, rate, review, unsubscribe, resubscribe, unsubscribe again, and then resubscribe again. Great. Thank you so much, GP. I love it. Tune in next Thursday for another episode. 